Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So come on with me and let's do this. What is it like to be a professional performing musician during the time of COVID? How about to drop an EP right now? And pandemic aside, if you want to be a musician, should you go to music school? Nobody ever gets a gig because of their diploma. You can show someone your diploma and they'll say, okay, that's great. Now let me hear you play. And like, really, at the end of the day, you got to always back it up with really being able to play. This episode answers all of those questions and more. Today, I talk with objectively the most talented musician I know. His name is Brian Quinn, and he just happens to be my brother. So, okay, maybe it's kind of subjective, but really, he is incredible. I am so proud of him and of his debut album releasing worldwide this Friday, September 4th. That is tomorrow, y'all. His band's name is BQ, and the album is called The Inner Solar System. In this chat, he gives us some sneak peeks of his songs. They're so good. And he talks us through elements of the music to listen for. So you guys, this is my absolute favorite thing, is to listen to music with Brian. He points out things that my ear would literally just not hear otherwise. Um, He describes the origin of certain musical techniques he uses. Attention, musical history nerds, you will love this. We talk about how he secured affordable studio recording time, what post-production looks like, and the importance of his musician community during this time. Oh, and don't forget that he's the one who wrote this podcast theme song. So that'll carry us into the conversation. I think it's going to be really cool for everyone listening to this podcast who has heard any previous episode because you are the creator of the theme song that begins and ends every single Keep It Quirky podcast episode there has ever been. It is truly my honor to be a part of your podcast every time that you put one out. How did you even come about writing that theme song? We had a few conversations when I had originally asked you to do it. And you said, yeah, happy to. Like, what are you looking for? Like, what kind of vibe? And, you know, I didn't even know how to answer that question. But I was like, short, upbeat, kind of catchy. Quirky, maybe? (laughs) Quirky, 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 yes. uh, Yes, that's a good adjective. Um, and and I forget, Brian, remind me, we had, a, I think, a couple back and forths before we landed on this, but you basically, like, pulled out really fantastic options that seemingly out of your pocket. So tell me what that process was. <laughs> yes, out of my pocket. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I remember just kind of turning on the uh, voice memo thing on my phone and just sit, setting it in front of my practice amp and just coming up with a few little noodles. And I just tossed them to you. I think I just texted them to you. And you said, hey, th- this one or that one. You said, I like that. I like 
the way that sounds. That's cool. And I said, cool, I'll develop it a little bit. And that's really all I did, develop it just a little bit. I was just that, you know, boom, boom, doop, doop, doo, 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 doo. And then I thought, okay, well, that's a cute little melody, but uh, let me put some variations in there. And then, you know, I don't need to like write too long. It's just a, it's a little ditty to introduce you. So uh, that was about it. Just, I came up with a little melody. You liked it. And I threw some fills on top of it. And uh, I went over to my buddy Ryan's house to uh, record it. Ryan Tedder, who's also the sax player for my band BQ. And um, he, he's the one who put the little triangle in there and uh and just put a little spit shine on it before we uh sent it over to you so yeah it was the whole thing took maybe uh a cumulative uh 45 minutes or so right. starting well, to write it to have fun. you're about to come out with your debut ep it's called the inner solar system bq is as as you just mentioned is your band's name and um what was that process like? I mean, writing the songs, but then the recording, it's not like you went over to your buddy Ryan's to record this album. So like, what was, what was that process of writing the music? Yeah, well that one, yes. To answer your question about whether or not that was a big deal. Yes. To me, this, this debut EP, the process of making it has indeed been a very big deal um, personally. And uh, yeah, it was, definitely a, a long process that started with um, my buddy and drummer, Mike Bruno, um, had some connections with the Chicago Electric Piano Company, uh, which just got the infrastructure to be a recording studio. So we were actually kind of the, the test band, if you will. And so they cut me a real sweetheart deal for being their guinea pig. And uh, yeah, and my buddy drummer, Mike Bruno, uh, hooked it all up and did the mixing and the engineering. And it really happened just in the nick of time because we recorded in mid- February, and I don't think we would have been able to do that recording, especially, you know, one of the things, there was not a lot of isolation. That was one of the things that made it so affordable is that we weren't isolated in sound booths, which of course, isolation <laughs> has a whole other level of meaning to it in the, in the yeah. pandemic time. So we were all just in one big room together, which you can see in the music videos. The music videos are just footage from the recording session. So that all happened in mid-February, and then the timing was rather fortuitous that uh, in, that, in the, this particular sense that the pandemic hit right after we tracked all that, and then suddenly my whole busy career as a freelance sideman musician, bass player, uh, suddenly all that just evaporated and I had nothing but time to get this project finished. And so... I mean, the, the, it, it really does feel, you know, I wonder in retrospect if you'll say that like so many parts of this do feel serendipitous um, for, for the reasons you just said, but then that, you know, just now Chicago is opening up enough to do this, like you're, you're playing an outdoor show, it's free, it's outdoors, at Navy Pier, which is like a prime location in Chicago, um, for your you know CD release. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, Navy Pier is a great venue, uh, even during a pandemic when the the place might not uh, 
not be packed. And honestly, during a pandemic, I feel like it probably ought not to be packed. But it's still going to get uh, into more ears than it would pretty much anywhere else in uh, in Chicago during a pandemic. So I'm still grateful to be performing uh, where I am, and it's going to be the last show of the Navy Pier season. So I feel oh, wow. like I made it. Yeah, so I feel like I made it right under the line before every, you know, it's, it's Chicago, so it's going to start cooling off here pretty soon after Labor Day, and everything's going to start moving indoors or, you know, stop happening altogether. I don't even know, but I wanted to have my release show done before, before we've got an answer to that question, because it kind of seems like, and I've got a horn section, so... Unless things change with the pandemic, um, I'm not really clamoring for indoor gigs with a with a horn section. But um, yeah, so it was, kind of feels like this relation really show needed to happen now or in 2021. So I'm glad that it's happening now uh, while it's warm and at a great at a great venue. Yeah, yeah. And then when the weather gets cold and people are stuck indoors, they'll have your CD to listen to to keep them company. Oh shit! That's right. That's the, that's the idea. Warm your cockles with some funk music. <laughs> so, what was what was it like um, for you as a musician to go through this pandemic? What what was that like for you? What kind of like services or help or support was there for you? Okay, wow. So that's a bigger question. Um, yeah, well, you know, this is unprecedented for for everyone living through it right now. So I was trying to navigate it just like everyone else was. Um, as a performing musician, uh, my career pretty much vanished in the span of a few days in the middle of March, mid-March. Um, everything, everything just started getting canceled. And everything that wasn't canceled was presumed that it was about to be canceled. We just haven't gotten the notification yet. And um, so, yeah, I applied for unemployment like so many other people. Um, You know, I do also teach some lessons. They used to be all in person. um, And then once in person, everything stopped. Um, I started doing online lessons, but most of my in-person students did not want to make that transition. So I still did that, but it was, you know, a trickle of income compared to the career that I had. And, um, and so, yeah, I did the unemployment thing, just like everyone else. I applied for a whole bunch of grants that were out there for musicians. I uh, got some of them, you know, uh, there was, there was a time early in the pandemic where it felt like there was like the government spigots were on. And uh, so I was trying to, trying to get my, get my share just like everyone else. Um, and yeah, I guess, I mean, you, you know, because you're my sister, I was treating it, trying to treat it kind of like a sabbatical. Once it became clear that all the gigs were gone for the, indefinite future i went back to small town ohio to stay with uh, mom and dad until this thing blew over because the chicago that i love living in kind of ceased to exist for a while and is still you know is still very very slowly coming back um but uh yeah so i kind of considered it a bit of a nature sabbatical on mom and dad's property while i waited waited to see what happened. 
did it make you feel any better or did you get some sense of support by from like your musician community so like talking to your fellow performing musicians and kind of realizing that like they were going through this too Yes, absolutely. There were specific conversations that I had with other musicians where people were saying, hey, I got this or that grant, apply for this or that grant. Or this is how I'm doing it, you should apply for this or that government thing. Not all of them went through for me, but I wouldn't have even known they were there unless I had a community of musicians that was continuing to talk online. There were, there were Facebook groups I'm a part of with mm-hmm. musicians that post about all this stuff and just direct conversations that I had catching up with friends saying, Hey, how are you doing? Said, I'm doing yeah. okay now that this grant came through. Oh, wait, what grant? That kind of thing. Yeah. You know, COVID and this maybe is kind of ironic, but not really thanks to the internet. COVID has, I think, made a lot of people um, appreciate community even more. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's well, a little ironic. Yeah, it is ironic, but um, but yeah, it's super true. Um, okay, so I, I kind of had distracted from one of my earlier questions, but what was so what was it like while you were on this sabbatical? You were still polishing up what you had, luckily recorded in the studio just before COVID hit. What's that like? What does that look like? That post production of an album. Well, I was very grateful to have that because it was kind of the only thing that gave me a sense of purpose when the sabbatical feeling started to wear off after a few months. Um, So it it was great to have something, a project to work on that was really, uh, you know, a passion of mine. So, uh, yeah, so it started with, uh, I guess, just my drummer slash co-producer Mike Bruno who mixed it had the tracks and he has a recording studio in at his house and so we just talked over the phone or via text and he'd send me mixes and I'd say I like this I don't like this make this louder make this quieter okay Um, yeah and we just we just did it back and forth like that until uh we were happy with the mixes and then uh brian schwab did the mastering on it which again was all done over the internet he had this uh fancy little interface where while the mastering session took about two hours and uh mike bruno and i were both on the we were there listening to him master it live and he could talk to us and we could chat with him um so it, it all happened from mom and dad's kitchen <laughs> so yeah. um, <laughs> it's a widget yeah, so, kitchen so it's a good it's a good place to work out <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh and then i've been going through uh this quarantine at mom and dad's with uh kaiser shelton who did the artwork on uh for for the whole album so that was very convenient for my quarantine buddy to uh also be my uh, graphic artist that did all the artwork for my album. Yeah, and Kaiser did a great job. It's it's funky and psychedelic looking and things, you know, those those adjectives I'm using are fairly aligned actually with not only your music, but also your, your musical influences. And so I'm going to cut myself off right there and I'm gonna say, let's listen it's my favorite thing ever to listen to music with you and not just your own music, but any kind of music because you point out things happening in the music or that are about to happen that my ears would never pick up 
in, in a million years. And so it's so fun because you point it out and I go, oh yeah, I hear that. Or, you know, you'll, you'll like, um, phantom play something like either piano or a saxophone or a flute or a guitar. Um, and, and it's like a curtain is lifted and I suddenly hear it. So do you mind pulling up a, a clip and you can, yeah, just point out a couple things. Do you mind doing that? No, not at all. I'd be happy to. Well, the one thing that uh, I had in mind is the intro to Venus, because that's I'm doing kind of an interesting little strumming technique to start it off. Really quickly, too. So you'll as you'll hear Brian say the names of his songs, you will notice if you are observant that um, they are names of planets and that the name of the album is the inner solar system. So like you're getting a theme here. Okay, I just wanted to point that out for people. So, Brian, continue. Okay, so the intro to Venus, I am doing this strumming technique on the bass that I picked up in high school from Les Claypool of Primus, and Les Claypool picked it up from Stanley Clark, the um, fusion bass player from Return to Forever, and Stanley Clark picked it up from uh, flamenco guitar players and started doing it on the bass. So we all stand on the shoulders of giants. But uh, I start this tune with this little strumming technique. And um, and then once the band comes in, once the rhythm section comes in, I switch to playing a different line. And then the the, the keyboard played by Cole DiGenova, the keyboard, which is a clavinet with a wah-wah pedal on it. So wah-wah-wah, that's that kind of sound. That instrument takes over the, the line that I was previously strumming on the bass. And then once the horns come in, they kind of take on the line that I was strumming and the, the keys kind of start doing their own thing a little bit more. So this one line that starts with me strumming it on the bass kind of makes its way around the band as the song kind of unfolds. That's so fun. Okay, let's listen to it. cool like that that i i i love that and like okay so this is news to me like we had i've heard venus before and we've even we listened to it together and we talked about other parts of it but i don't think you pointed out that specific thing to me so i'm just hearing that for the first time myself and and it just goes to show how i i just feel like um, there is endless musical things to learn from you at any given time, basically. Oh, that's sweet of you to say. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so, um, so I'm going to ask for you to play um, at least another clip. But first, you, you mentioned that like some of the people in the band. And so let's see. So you've got drummer, a guitarist a keyboardist, um, yourself, obviously, on bass guitar, and uh, 
trumpet, saxophone, and what am I missing? Well, two saxophones. There's an alto saxophone and a tenor saxophone. Got, okay. Okay. And so um, you had kind of mentioned before in conversation that like these are kind of fellow music nerds of yours, like music school, you know, friends who you guys like to nerd out about music stuff, right? Yeah, I actually did not go to music school uh, with any of these people. Actually, Cole and I did share a year at Berkeley, but his first year was my last year, but we didn't know each other until we were both back in Chicago. But these are all music school guys. Um, they're, I just didn't meet them at our respective music schools. So I met them through the Chicago music scene. And so how would you, like, what is the difference? Because I know you also play with a ton of really talented musicians who didn't go to music school, right? So, like, what would you say is kind of the difference between playing with those two different groups of people? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious, because I know that the people who didn't go to music schools could still nerd out in a certain way. Um, yeah, so that I mean... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, people that go to music school, uh, that's great, but um, nobody ever gets a gig because of their diploma. But you can show someone your diploma and they'll say, okay, that's great. Now let me hear you play. And like, right. really, at the end of the day, you got to always back it up with really being able to play. People ask me all the time after I went to the Cordon Bleu Culinary School, like, you know, how necessary is that? And from from my understanding, it is not necessary at all. And it's exactly what you're saying. If you can cook and you can get that experience another way, um, it's just as good, really. So, it, But it just depends. Like, I got a lot out of that educational experience. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I got a lot out of my educational experience. But, but yeah, so let, as I'm saying, there are a lot of people that don't have that piece of paper, but they can still play. And, um, you know, there's, that's, I think that's really what matters is whether or not you can play. And the diploma might turn a head or two that might not have been turned otherwise. But then once that head is turned, you got to keep them interested. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And there are lots of people that can turn those heads without the piece of paper. So, um, I feel like the biggest difference in my project and why I ended up with a bunch of music school dudes is because my compositions are pretty intricate and I have mm. them all written out. Um, so not to say that music school, you know, people who didn't go to music school can't read charts. Um, but oftentimes it's the, the people who go to music school pick it up faster. And a lot of times, at least up to this point, I've, um, I've only had the opportunity to maybe have a one rehearsal before each show that I've played, just because everyone that plays in my band is a professional and we don't have time to book a series of rehearsals before each show, but I have really intricate music and I've got it all written out and I have reference recordings for everything. So you got to be able to pick it up quick. I, I give you the resources, but you really got to know how to use them. Um, and again, not to say that people who didn't go to music school can't do that, but um, I've it's just through experience. I've, the, the guys that I've 
that I've settled on just happen to have been guys that ha have gone to music school. So yeah, yeah. Um, were you friends with all of them first too? Is this kind of like a let's get the let's get the gang together and play music or? Um, it, it varies. It varies. Some some of the guys I go back with more than others. Um, I, I've known Cole for almost a decade now, Cole DiGenova, who plays keys. I was in his band. He's a solo artist in his own right. I was in his band um, several years ago. And uh, yeah, you know, I go back a few years with Mike Bruno, not quite as long, but we've, you know, I, I, we're, we're friends mostly in a professional capacity. But, um, but yeah, I always have a great time hanging out with them, playing music with them. And uh, some of the other guys I haven't known quite as long. I mean, oh, I go way back with Brian. And I, go, I, try, I go way back with most of these guys. George on guitar. Um, I've played with, I've known him for about a decade too. So most of them uh, I, I've, I've known for a while, I guess. I, I guess I should, I've said enough of them that now I should say Corbin Andrick on alto sax, Constantine Alexander on trumpet. Those guys are great. And they with Ryan Tedder on tenor. They uh, all lock in and kill it. I've, I, I, I know them mostly, or I know most, Corbin and Constantine, I know more through like job, jobbing bands, weddings and such. That's how I met those guys. Nice, nice. Yeah, good. I'm glad you got the shout out to everyone in the band there. Um, it's really, it's so good. It's super tight. Um, so should we, should we listen to um, a next one and hear all these, hear all these people um, at work? All right. So let's see. Uh, okay. Let's uh, how about the intro to Mercury? I, mean, I don't know why okay. I'm focusing on all these intros, but I guess I, I always try, I, I, I typically try to do something kind of uh, deceptive or disorienting early on and then you kind of get the fuller picture as the band comes in. I feel like that's Ooh. something that I do a lot in my writing. But so in Mercury, the, it starts off with George Wonsom on guitar, who's a great guitarist, has his own band called Deep Fade, which is which is uh, a badass group in and of itself. And uh, he kicks it off with his guitar part. And I deliberately asked him not to play the root of the chord. It's in C minor. And I asked him not to play a C during the intro. And so then, honestly, I don't know how it sounds. This is, uh, you kind of got into this earlier where you were talking about when you listen to music and how I listen to music and how that's different. I, so, I hear, I've heard the song so many times that yeah. I hear it in C minor automatically now. But I asked George to play this intro without including a C note because I wanted it to sound deceptive. I didn't want it to seem clear what key you were in. It sounds maybe a little disorienting. And then the rest of the band comes in. I start playing a C on the bottom, fit, kind of filling it out. And, um, and at least to me, I feel like you get kind of a fuller picture harmonically of what's going on once the whole band comes in. Um, at least I hope that that comes through. When I hear it, I, I already hear it in C minor. So I, I have trouble do, doing that to myself. Hopefully right. that's an interesting harmonic device that's worth noting. Okay, cool. Let's listen. It's so interesting. 
once you are familiar enough with a certain thing, how, how the production of something works, you can't unhear it, you can't unsee it. Like, I, you know, with my work that I've done with video and films and even like early, early on in my career when I was an extra in some movies, as I'm sure you remember, um, I, I cannot... I cannot watch a movie and not watch the extras, <laughs> which is <laughs> very distracting sometimes. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, I can't watch a YouTube video without, like, paying stupid close attention to the cuts and the pans and the, all that stuff. So I do get what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't, I have trouble listening to a song without picking apart the bass line and thinking, how would I have played this bass line? Yeah, so same, yeah. Same sort of thing. So what made you decide to go to Berklee College of Music for bass guitar? And then bass performance was your major? Uh, actually, it was professional music, which is a fancy sounding way of saying it's, it was basically a build your own major. But I had an emphasis on bass performance, but not exclusively. I kind of wanted to dabble in various composition classes and uh, advanced theory classes and all sorts of dorky stuff like that. So yeah. it's kind of a mixed, a mixed bag, but I'd like to think that I got a lot out of it. And then what would like, what did you, what would, what advice would you give for anyone who wants to be a professional musician? And, you know, you could go back to the conversation we just kind of had about music school and if, you know, you would suggest people do that or not, but like, yeah, is there any like, okay, you want to take this creative passion, you have this skill, and turn it into a career. How? Oh, man. Jeez, that's a big <laughs> question. Um, uh, I mean, I, 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 so many people have done it so many different ways that it's really hard for me to tell, uh, you know, the world a blanket, this is how you do it kind of thing uh because i think it's based so much on different scenarios and different life circumstances where you are uh when you are like why right now is a difficult time to start being a professional musician uh i know because it kind of feels like i'm just restarting out being a professional musician and i am just reestablishing all the connections that I already had. I'm just waiting for the scene to come back. Uh, this is a tricky time to do it. Um, some people could say that, you know, some opportunistic people could say that this is a good time to make some innovative moves. Uh, the scene that existed before the pandemic is kind of all up in the air. And uh, there are people, there are enterprising people who have found ways to do jams, outdoor jams and parks, various places. I'm still a little nervous to participate in too much of that because we are going through a pandemic and a lot of it is very maskless at the moment from what I've seen. Um, so I'm a little nervous about that, but some people are finding opportunity in this crisis and um, you know, everybody's making decisions for themselves um but the kind of existence that i wanted to have in the music scene is still kind of on hold uh, slowly trying to creep back but very slowly 
Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you actually mentioned too that like you have been in this scene like for a while now. You are an established musician. Um, you know people all across the country and world, actually, um, but especially in the Chicago music scene, it, you are a go-to for so many people, so many bands. Um, and so this, like I've said, is your debut EP. So what is it about right now? What, because um, you have so much experience under your belt that um, what was it about this moment that made you um, want to bring it forth? Um, to be quite honest, uh, people have been telling me for years, you need to record your project. And my response is always, great, do you know where I can get some cheap studio time? And people would always say, um, not cheap. I know where you can pay an arm and a leg. And I'd say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a side man professionally. I'm gonna, I'm, I, you know, I don't know if I have time to spend an arm and a leg. Um, and uh, that was always how it went right up until I got that same just that, that same comment of you should record your music from my drummer, Mike Bruno, who, by the way, I should mention is also the drummer for Spare Parts, which is like a funk fusion uh, band that has been in the Chicago scene for a long time. So he knows his way around the scene. And when he mentioned it to me and I said, well, can you find me some cheap studio time for the first time since the creation of this band? He said, yes. And I said, Great, let's do it. That was around. Wow, yeah, the, uh, yeah. That was right around New Year's. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna make it my, uh, I'm gonna make it my New Year's resolution. I'm taking BQ into the studio, and um, and I knew that before that, before I had any sense of a pandemic, I knew that the winter was the time to do it, just because everybody's schedules usually fill up in the summer, and. Uh, so February, I was like, okay, everybody's got the time. Let's pick an evening. Let's wow. take it to the so studio. Wow, so in like a month and a half, you pulled this together. I mean, granted, you had the songs written because you'd been performing them live with these musicians. So yeah, I guess it didn't appear out of nowhere. Yeah, okay, this, this was music you had written and performed already, and so it was really just getting it down. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, oh yeah, absolutely. I've had these tunes composed for years um i just haven't taken them into the studio so, so this is so exciting overdue. dude i yeah, yeah, I'm, Ryan, over, yeah. I'm so crazy excited for you okay so let's take this moment then to you said you have a third uh third song bit here to to play for us and another explanation of what we're about to hear yeah okay so this is kind of uh what i would describe as enhanced reality because uh, this was yeah so i didn't want to fill my recordings with a whole bunch of crazy production i wanted it to sound pretty organic but there are a few moments where i wanted some i wanted to have like an extreme effect on the listener uh, to an extent that it was probably not possible to reproduce uh, live um, as much as I may try. Um, so one of those moments is during this, the, the horn solos, they're all trading solos and this is in the song Earth. So this is actually towards the end of the song and they, my horn section, which is Ryan Tedder on tenor sax, uh, Corbin Andrick on alto sax and Constantine Alexander on trumpet, they're all passing it around and they get, you know, 
they start passing them around quicker and then they're playing kind of on top of each other. And I wanted it to kind of all uh, snowball into a big cacophony that gets bigger and more intense. And then suddenly I wanted it to all instantly shrink down to nothing. And I want there to be a tiny moment where you could hear a pin drop. And then I come in with the, with the baseline that is the main theme of the song. And then we play the, the, the main melody of the song one more time before ending it. But I wanted this big cacophonous rumble of noise to, to it within an instant just shrink down to nothing. And then we hit the, we hit the main line one more time and we're out. So that studio's post-production magic can begin. Uh, was earth the song the song's name was earth what why the cosmic theme of this album um it was actually a bit of a fluke um when i was first writing all these tunes i they were they're instrumental compositions so i wasn't sure what to call them and around that time i played a gig with a friend who also wrote a bunch of instrumental compositions and he named them all after colors which i thought was a really cute idea to have like a pre-existing set of titles that you can just like impose your your musical canon onto so i actually started thinking about what other sets of titles I could apply to my tunes. And I actually, first I flirted with the idea of the periodic table of the elements. Like I call, you know, call one oxygen, call one nitrogen. That seemed maybe a little, a little too abstract. And I really like the majesty and like uh, just the aesthetic um, associations of the planets and all that stuff. So even though I did not write Venus to sound like what I imagined the planet Venus to sound like. I just kind of slapped these titles on, but after the fact, I kind of, now in my brain, uh, when I look up at the sky, I do hear, <laughs> I do hear that tune. But I don't know, but it's all just, uh, it's just associative. Uh, after the fact, I've been calling that tune Venus for years now, so. But I always wanted it to be really abstract and loose. Uh, like for when Kaiser was designing the artwork for my, for, for the, uh, for the record, uh, I said, I, the big key thing that I kept coming back to was vaguely cosmic. I don't want to see Venus and earth and Mercury. And I don't want you to be able to point to them and say, Oh, there's that song on the cover. I want it to look vaguely cosmic. I want all the associations with the planets and stuff to be this very, uh, I want it to, to kind of spur your imagination, but I don't want to be too on the nose with it. So it was just kind of this cute after the fact, I need to call these tunes something that then kind of evolved into a little bit of a theme. And so why don't you um, tell the little, it's not a secret, but I think some people would miss what the image is on the cover of the album. What is it that people are looking at there? Because it is vaguely cosmic, but what is it actually? Should we tell them? 
Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's pull. Let's let's reveal it all. So that's actually <laughs> um, a photograph of a retina. So, uh, which of course was initially Dad's idea, because as your listeners may or may not know, both of our parents are optometrists, and so my dad overheard me say "vaguely cosmic" when we were talking about the graphic design with uh, with the, the designer for the album, Kaiser Shelton, uh, and uh, and he said, "You know that the you know a photo of a retina actually looks." pretty cosmic and um and so we ended up going with it and i it wasn't until after the fact that i thought of the play on words with the inner solar system like inner as in internal and the, the retina is yes. internal so, but i totally did not even think about that because i was i called it the inner solar system just because it's mercury venus and earth the three planets closest to the sun if i if i had recorded Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, I would have called it the outer solar system. But uh, ah. so really just a coincidence. But I, but I do like the association, even though I didn't even think about it when I picked out the, the retina image for the album. Well, and to me, you know how I love to think of things this way. To me, that is yet another example of serendipity and how it's all just come together beautifully um, just like the studio time, just like, um, you know, getting in just before COVID hit, um, all of it, all of it. And I'm, I'm so excited for you, Brian. Uh, and so anyone, if you happen to be in Chicago listening to this, go check out Brian's uh, performance, his, what it is, release show. That's what it's called, right? A release show. <laughs> you got it. You got there. You give the <laughs> details. You give the details. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the EP is available everywhere on all digital platforms and all that good stuff this Friday, September 4th. But the release show this Saturday is at Navy Pier, uh, 5.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. And it's free and it's outdoors and uh, it's going to be safe with all the with all the pandemic precautions in place. Bring your mask and uh, come out and enjoy some fun music oh, amazing oh, i wish i could be there so badly but i am sure you're gonna kill it and i can't wait to hear it. and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your talent and your experiences and everything hey it's my pleasure thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be on i'm excited for the release on friday and i'm excited to see everybody at the miller light beer garden at navy pier all saturday and now let's be taken out by the theme song that you wrote you can all follow Brian on Instagram at BQFunk. And don't forget to check out his album, The Inner Solar System, available everywhere on Friday. That's tomorrow. And you can find out more info about him by going to BQFunk.com. You can follow this podcast to stay up to date with all of the new episodes at Keep It Quirky Podcast. And come on, you should subscribe to the pod if you haven't already to hear more incredible, super inspiring creatives. And you can follow me on Instagram at QKatie. Don't forget to subscribe to the monthly newsletter. There is a link to do so in the show notes. I've also linked to a bunch of Brian's stuff in the show notes, so check them out there. I hope you're all doing well, staying funky when you listen to Brian's music, and of course, as always, keeping it quirky. I'll catch you guys back here real soon.